Let us stand now, and uh, if you'd like, turn to Psalm 119, verses 13 through 16. Titled today, Rejoicing in His Ways, our teaching comes from Psalm 119, verses 13 through 16. Hear now the word of God. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Amen. O Holy Spirit of God, illuminate our hearts now with this word and do your mighty work of strengthening, building, convicting, and refining in our hearts that we may know you more, Almighty God. Amen. You may be seated. As we return to our study of Psalm 119, we remember it's this expression of the convictions of a godly man who loves God's word and sees his utter reliance upon God to walk in the ways of God. And we remember that God has entrusted us with exceedingly great and precious promises. And so that we are driven by faith to seek the Lord and his mercy. That we may walk in his ways and keep his statutes for they are life to us. And even, we remember that even as the, the moral law condemns the sinner, it awakens us to sin and drives us to Christ for life. So that the Christian, as we sang this morning, loves the law of God. And the psalmist pursues holiness. We're seeing that in Psalm 119. So he starts this question, if you remember, with a question, with a question this section, how can a young man cleanse his way? And the psalmist answers this by saying, by taking heed according to your word. And so we concluded that the aspiration or seeking of a holy life requires living by God's word with a complete dependency upon him alone, which propels our faith to action and a desire to know him and his word more and more. So with that in mind, we now move to verses 13 through 16. So we see that taking heed according to God's word results in declaring God's truth with our mouths, which brings forth a true rejoicing in God's ways. But it requires a faith-driven study, a meditation, an increase in knowledge and understanding, and a continual remembrance of God's ways so that it's our joy so that we find resolutely in God's truth our delight. And that's really the common thread. We always are looking for the commonality as we go through the scripture in any section. And it's that the Christian life is rejoicing in God's ways. So with that introduction, let us begin in verse 13. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. Now, you might remember just a few verses back, the psalmist said, Your word I have hidden in my heart. Remember that? So now it's declared from the lips. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is the natural response. And this is the continued call of taking heed according to God's word. It ushers forth a burning desire within the soul 
driven by faith that this is the truth. And so by the confession or profession of our mouths is the good news of God. Because a true witness of God's truth will not be ashamed of it. Because he who truly knows and understands the grace of God doesn't want to hide it. Doesn't want to keep it a secret, but wants to proclaim it. You remember the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. What happened when it was found? There was rejoicing. There was celebration. Calling the neighbors, come and see that which was lost is now found. You're not going to hide that. You're going to make it known. And so the Christian finds, hears, and understands the truth of God and decides, I must declare this. I must speak it forth. The psalmist here, literally in in the original language, what he's doing is he's recounting. He's counting the judgments of God. He's counting the goodness. He's remembering that which he's experienced. We we know we sing, count your blessings one by one. But how much more should we recount the work of God? Yes, his blessings, but also his mercies and his judgments. Recounting. And declaring the work of God, of course, requires true belief that God did it. And it proves a right treasuring of his works above all earthly things. So note for a minute what the psalmist is not declaring. This is not a proclaiming of our judgments, of our ordinances, or even of the land of the law. The law of the land, as it were. One thing you'll find that happens in the world... But I even look back and notice in my own life, before receiving Christ, is the throwing out of sound bites from its own worldview and its sources of truth, which are movies and music and popular culture. Something will occur in life, and then, and then a line from a movie comes as a remembrance that somehow relates. And, and it's sort of supposed to solidify or validate that circumstance. And that's because that's the world's compendium of, compendium of truth. It's the world's reality. It's in, in summary. It's declared in a short soundbite. And so may we remember that we're free from, from that, from secular soundbites. We have the truth of eternity and God's word at our fingertips, hidden in our hearts, upon our lips that we may declare it. What a gift this is. What a humbling treasure for us to be able to declare and know the eternal judgments of God. The Apostle Paul testified to this incredible richness of the truth we declare. Remember he said, oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So rather than throwing out movie clips and sound bites, the Christian proclaims the word of God, the truth that lives today, that was forever and is forever. Right? This is our story. This is our song, proclaiming our Savior all the day long. And this is rejoicing in his ways. So now note that in order to declare the judgments of God, you have to first know them. This is not just a reading and reciting lesson. This is, this is a proclaiming from the heart, the judgments of God. This is knowing them even at a deep level. So it will require not just reading, but studying them, 
learning them, knowing them. So the question we could ask ourselves in response is, am I a student of God's word? Are you soaking it up, listening to it, receiving instruction? One of the things I've said before, I'll say again, we don't just read the word of God, we study it. Very different than reading another book. And we could also ask this question. Who disciples you? Now, you might say, I don't need a discipler. I'm good. I'm not dependent upon some man. Is that what you're, you're presuming? I've got God's word. Amen. And in truly, he is our great discipler and instructor. But God has also given us one another, hasn't he? To continually grow and learn. Remember Ephesians 4 says he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so God's ordained means for us to be equipped for ministry is in part through others that he has called whom we are to receive teaching from. And consider what God just says in his word about learning. What what is our attitude? A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. And you might remember the the Apostle Paul to the church at uh, Philippi even gave instruction in how we are to grow by those appointed to teach and lead. He said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. So do you partake into the teaching and preaching and the word of God? Because this is where faith comes from, we're told. As Peter exhorted us, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Because there's growth in the knowledge of God. We're we're propelled by true faith, by understanding and by this knowledge. It enables us to leave those elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. So there is, in the righteous, a yearning to grow, to learn, to understand, and to be taught. Just here in this church alone, we have at least a dozen teaching opportunities every week. Are you coming to those? Or are you you seeking out as well the innumerable sermons and books and discipleship resources out there today? We're so blessed and privileged by these. Think the early church didn't have any of this. Yes, by faith, you see the goodness of God. You want this truth. You know how his triumphing work overcame death and sin. And so you want that truth. And you know it's the path of life for you. So the compelling question for us today as we reflect on this verse is, do we declare God's precepts? Do you speak the word of God? Because remember, for every single one of us here, our lives are limited. God appointed appointed a day that you were born, and he has already appointed the day that you will die. You have that time in between. What will you do with your life? Because in your life, you will proclaim something. Your life will stand for something. You will speak forth something. What will it be? 
If you had to declare in your life, if you had one thing you could declare, one thing that you would be remembered by, what would it be? Would it be some work you did, some action, maybe a legacy? Or would it be God and his work? May we declare the judgments of our God and be proclaimers of his truth. We just need to remember that. Every day, every moment, God gives us to do that. Charles Bridges said this, Surely the day when we have been fluent in worldly conversations and yet have neglected our opportunities to speak a word for God, that must be considered a wasted day. So stop and ask yourself, what do you talk about during the day? What drives you from the heart? What motivates you, fuels you to render God's truth by your lips? Remember, and remember the psalmist's question. We always go back to that context. Right? How, does, how does young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, heed according to God's word. By declaring it. This is part of taking heed. It's by the natural outflow of it that ushers in for us then righteousness, joy, and peace with a clear heart, a cleansed conscience that we know we are standing on solid ground and so now we can take steps of faith in life. Remember, that's who we are. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Spurgeon was, was very strong on this aspect of our Christian life. And I, I want to read a quote from him. Listen to this. He said, It will be an effectual method of cleansing a young man's way if he addicts himself continually to the preaching of the gospel. He cannot... Go far wrong in judgment whose soul is occupied in setting forth the judgments of the Lord. By teaching, we learn. By training the tongue in holy speech, we master the whole body. By familiarity with divine precepts, we are made to delight in righteousness. Thus, in a threefold manner, our way is cleansed by proclaiming the way of the Lord. Do you see that? He he actually says... We're cleansed in part by our proclamation of the ways of the Lord. So may we lean into that. Is your whole soul occupied in setting forth the judgments of God in whatever little opportunity God gives you in life? I mean, some of you are going to make big business deals. Some of you are going to be home all day working on the chore God has given you and your school. It doesn't matter. Those are all the greatest glory to God when we proclaim his truth. Amen? Now, when the whole soul is occupied in setting this forth, we rejoice in response. Again, as we sang this morning. So in verse 14, the psalmist now moves on and responds, saying, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. The psalmist bears out this rejoicing of his God with a, with a lot of clarity here. And this is really instructive to us. Notice, if you have your Bible in front of you, take, take a look closely at, at this verse, at verse 14. Notice, he's not so j- much just rejoicing in the Lord's testimonies, but in the way of them. Do you see that? I rejoice in the way of them. And this is helpful. 
for us, I think, because in our flesh nature, we can get very focused on a specific commandment of God, can't we? Which, unfortunately, can even strip the power of the gospel away if we're so narrow, right? Because this is the gospel of God. It's great and mighty. But we cannot turn the commandments of God into a works righteousness quest in pride. One might say, I love the rules of God because I follow the rules of God. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty good at following his rules. I pray long prayers. I come to church pretty, pretty often. I read my Bible twice a day, not just once. And I mean, I'm really good at keeping his rules. And do you remember this heart that we've heard before? This is the heart of the older brother, of the prodigal son. But we know that this is the very opposite of the heart of our God, isn't it? He didn't give us his law to be self-righteous rule keepers. God loves the broken, contrite, and repentant heart that loves God. He loves the obedience that is born out of humble faith and love for him. God does not want obedience that is done to try and earn his favor. So we say we rejoice in the way of God's testimonies, in the way of holiness where he leads us, the narrow way of the cross, his presence with us, his faithfulness that never leaves us, his enemies that never overcome him. These are worthy of rejoicing. These are the ways of our God. Now the psalmist says that the ways of God's testimonies are as all riches to him. Like all the treasure in the world would be another way to say it. So it's a question that we should often ask ourselves. Where, what is my treasure? Where is my treasure? For there your treasure is, your heart will be also. Because God gives us so many riches. Salvation and life in Christ. But what about all the other means of grace? We talked about forgiveness this morning. I mean, that's a rich, that's a treasure from God that we can forgive in Christ. What about the church? What about prayer? What about his word? We are wealthy, wealthy in Christ. Think of a man, think if there's a man out there, and I'm sure there's many, who own hundreds of thousands of acres and vast estates all over the world. That's great. But how do you view your wealth in Christ? I hope even as being wealthier, as richer than that. For for your treasure is not where moth and rust destroy, but you are partaking. Your wealth is that of eternity. Your riches are incorruptible, never fading. So Christ laid it out for us. He said, which will it be? You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So we must view riches and wealth rightly. We can correspond this to to wealth on earth, but there's so much more eternal wealth ready. So seek your heart and find what treasure. What is treasure to you? What are riches to you? Can you sing this hymn? I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name 
than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Because when we speak about riches and wealth and treasure, it can often be associated with investment, right? And that's how it's gained. So what are you investing in? How are you investing in God, in a right understanding of knowing him and his ways? Because God's investment to us is life. It's a gift. But God's truth is the best investment that we can make ever in this life. So that we can be those ready vessels for him, ready, armed, and fashioned for his use. Speaking of wealth, you might remember the church in Revelation, Laodicea. It's one of the seven churches. And Laodicea boasted of their wealth. In fact, uh, one of the historic accounts is there was, there was often earthquakes in that area. And they had a significant earthquake. And they proclaimed, even the Christians, oh, we have enough money to build, rebuild it. We're good. You know, you, because a letter was sent for prayer for them. And that was their response. We're fine. But Jesus told them to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Think, let me read that again. Buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. This is true riches. Gold refined in the fire. Do you see your trials as riches? The sanctifying work of God as your wealth? This is the way of God's testimonies. Glorifying tribulations that produce hope. And of course, when you love something, when you treasure something, you rejoice in it. And what do you want then? We just want more of it, don't we? For example, my family is patient with me because I keep going on and on about how I love the fall. I love this time of year. I love the autumn. It's undoubtedly by more orders of magnitude my favorite season of the year above all others. I love it. I love the crisp air. I love the, the leaves. There's red leaves out there right now. I love the warm summer days and the cool summer, the cool, the, the warm fall days and the cool nights. And um, I just, as I tell my family, I say, couldn't God just keep it like this all year long, all year long? Just freeze right here. But of course, in a much deeper way, when a soul rejoices in God's ways and testimonies and we treasure them, we want more. It compels us to know it more, to dig in deeper, to possess it, to integrate it into our lives. And so, accordingly, in Psalm 15, in verse 15, the psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will look into and deeply examine your ways. Remember, meditation is letting the, the word do its convicting, refining work. Let it pierce your soul and expect it to. Right? The prophets of old were right as they, as they trembled at God's word because they tasted of its power. Diving in and meditating on God's precepts is a bit like pouring antiseptic on a wound. Right? I talked about that a few weeks ago. But you know it's going to sting that raw wound, but you also know it's good, right? Because it's, it's cleansing, it's protective, it's healing. And so it is when we contemplate, when we meditate on God's word, it's, it has that effect of burning off the calloused layers of our hearts 
to give us a heart of flesh. But this meditation, it's going to take intentionality, right? We don't just read the Bible, set it down, and then go about our work all day and forget what we just read. We have to consider it. Remember what the Puritans taught. Meditation and prayer go hand in hand. We read the Word of God. We stop, take time to ponder it, to meditate on it, and then we pray of those convictions that God brought us in contemplation and meditation. So it's very likely, very possible, that meditating on God's word will actually take longer than it took to read that portion of scripture. So give yourself time. Make sure you put that in your day planner if you need it. Spurgeon, again, thought quite highly of meditation. And he he actually asked why more Christians were not engaged in it. He said, no spiritual exercise is more profitable to the soul than that of devout meditation. Why are so many of us exceedingly slack in it? And in the word, meditation is described as this, it's like partaking of a very good meal. God has given us our bread, the word, do we partake of it? Do we, do we take it in, digest it? Are we strengthened by it? You remember, might remember the words of Jeremiah 15. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Your word was to me joy and rejoicing of my heart. And accordingly, this is a good way to think of meditation. It's like chewing on God's truth again and again. And I, I want to read you A quote from uh, Bishop George Horn, he said it this way, Meditation is that exercise of the mind whereby it recalls a known truth, and as some kinds of creatures do with their food, to be ruminated upon until the nutritious parts are extracted and fitted for purposes of life. And he's referring to the chewing of the cud, right? Or the ruminating of food that some animals do. Some of you have cows, but lots of other animals do this too. Goats and giraffes and moose and and even our Colorado bighorn sheep do this. So the, the goal is to extract the maximum amount of nutrients from the food they eat. So they chew on it again and again and again. These animals are called ruminants. They're a type of mammal. But that probably reminds you of the word ruminate, right? It's where it comes from. To to consider something again and again and again, that we may apply it, that we may extract all we can from it. So we don't, again, just read our Bible for 10 minutes and then forget about it. You'll get very little out of it then. But we meditate on it. We ruminate on it all day. I've encouraged some of you in a practice that I've done myself for many years If you read God's word in the morning, it's a great way to start your day. Write down, maybe on a note card or something you can easily carry upon you, just the most quickening, profound profound verse, or even just part of a verse that you read that morning. Put that note card in your pocket, and then any little momentary breaks you have throughout the day, just pull that out and look at it, so that you're then, you remember it, and you're meditating on God's word throughout the day, and you're rejoicing in his ways throughout the day. Now, we need to speak about meditation for a moment. 
Has anyone heard this word outside of a biblical context before? Okay, well, let's talk about it. Biblical Christian meditation is altogether different and, in fact, opposite of the increasingly popular practices of mindfulness, self-enlightenment, and transcendental meditation, which you'll hear of quite frequently in our culture. Sometimes these are connected with yoga or Zen Buddhism or self-help methods. But these are worldly forms of meditation. And you know what their focus is? is actually to empty the mind. And they'll tell you that. Empty the mind and seek enlightenment, peace, and happiness through deep relaxation. Now, biblical meditation is not an emptying of the mind, but filling of the mind with God's truth. Quickened and convicted by the Spirit, it will not maybe always leave you in some relaxed state on the floor but instead leaves you broken, cut to the quick by that two-edged sword of God's word. Worldly meditation focuses on self and a goal of oneness with yourself. Biblical meditation is never to achieve self-enlightenment or self-awareness, but to focus on God and grow closer to Him. Do you know some forms of worldly meditation seek to gain answers to complex or mysterious questions of the universe, or even to reach a state of nirvana where suffering is supposedly forever extinguished by reaching a state of non-self. What is that? May we have nothing to do with this foolishness. Biblical meditation instead reveals Not some complex mysteries of life, but the simplicity of the gospel. It quickens us to sound, grounded thinking on a solid foundation of God's word. Remember Paul's warning to the church at Corinth. But I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So don't avoid meditation Because the ungodly have tried to take and distort what God has established for his people? Christian meditation is ours from our God. It helps reinforce the truth of God's word in our hearts by carefully reflecting on it so that we may remember it and know what it is. Consider the word is just replete with this truth. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. My eyes are awake throughout the, watch, nice, the, watch, the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Joshua said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, I will ponder your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. And we could go on. Meditation is a spiritual discipline that God has given his people that we may know him more, rejoice in his ways. And so I agree with Spurgeon. May we not be slack in this godly discipline. Now the psalmist psalmist here also says he will contemplate God's ways. Contemplate or deeply examining through study and reading and discussion and asking questions and maybe even challenging yourself on this truth. After you read the word, you might ask, 
Why did God do that that way? <laughs> what is the heart of my God? Our scripture text today was from Matthew 20. You, you remember Brother Chad Roach read that. The parable of the vineyard workers. It's a great example of that which we must consider and contemplate. Because if you just read it really quick, you, you say, well, that, that situation doesn't seem fair. I mean, those guys worked all day, and they got the same pay as the guys that worked one hour. What, what, what's going on here? What a great thing to contemplate and say, God, I must contemplate your word. I want to understand your heart. So what does this passage mean? We, we know our culture, where fairness and this communistic redistribution of wealth is the law of the day. Is that what Jesus is saying? But what is God teaching us? We must study. We must contemplate. It should challenge us in our self-examination. And then, once we understand the heart of our God, then we grow in conviction and learn to love his truth. We can say, oh God, change my heart that I understand the beauty of your way. And that spirit then quickens the truth that we may rejoice again. So when you read, just practically here, when you read God's word or when you approach even a sermon or a devotional or something, here's some questions you could ask yourself. What have I received from this word or this teaching? What does God have for me to grow in from that teaching or that word? And what is he reproving in my life now that I can apply? And and there's a lot of other actions we can take. You can journal. I know many of you that journal. It It helps us contemplate God's ways in our own life. We can talk about our individual Bible times. We can talk about sermons. We can talk about what God is teaching us. In our home, most of us, doing it right now, take notes during teaching times. And one of our favorite things that we do in our home is sharing our notes. And that's uh, what we do on Monday nights. That's typically our family devotional time is sharing our notes from Sunday. Because, you know, on Sunday we go through five teaching times every Sunday. that We have all these notes on, you know, times eight, eight or nine people, right? So we have the family morning Bible study, we have an exhortation, we have the sermon, we have the Lord's Supper, and then we have evening service. And there's notes on all those in that front row. And it's so exciting on Monday night, because the children love to share what they learn, and then questions are asked, and then people say, you know, I was wondering what he was talking about when he said that, and then we can share about it, and sometimes it's a time of confession, sometimes it's a, a time of conviction, encouragement is stirred, it's, it's a wonderful time, and I encourage you to do these activities, to journal, to share, to speak forth, to contemplate God's words. Notice if some of you might have the ESV, and I just want to address that, because the ESV renders this a little bit differently. It says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Fix my eyes on your ways. Or the King James says, I will have respect unto thy ways. So in contemplation of God's words, it's, it's not just thinking, dreaming, with a useless end. It's actually a very fruitful end of shaping and directing our whole beings towards becoming like Christ. 
And this is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? To convict us of sin and arm us with the hope of God when we read his word. So have respect to God's ways. Think on them often, that you may hold them in high esteem with reverence, with gratitude, with respect and love. And so we've seen here that hiding God's word in your heart leads to knowing his truth, declaring it, and then delighting in it, and driving us to know, meditate, and contemplate, and learn even more. And so, my biggest exhortation to you in all of this, that God has brought to me as well, of course, brothers and sisters, is that we just slow down in our times with God. Okay? Just slow down, meditate on God's truth, be ready to receive Fix your eyes upon them and just soak up and extract, chew on it, everything you can get from God's word. But we must be drawn into it by faith. We must be drawn into it by faith so that we rejoice rightly and genuinely with that pure heart, with that cleansed way. And so, accordingly, meditation is followed by rejoicing, which brings us to our final verse today in verse 16. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the conclusion of partaking of God's truth is, once again, delight and a remembrance of God's truth. The Christian delights in God's statutes. And so, fathers and mothers, what do you, by your life, by your responses, by your example, what do you teach your children. Or maybe for those of you out in the world with your co-workers, how do you respond? Do they know what you delight in? Do they see what you're delighting in? Is it God's truth? Is it God's ways? Is it his testimonies? Is that what we are exampling forth by our smiles, by our joy? Or is there something else we're delighting in? Remember again the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin. Rejoicing was what over what? The sinner who was repentant. This is, this is ultimately God's way, God's heart. So we need to conform our hearts to his way and rejoice over that. And you might remember, as I mentioned a minute ago, the older son of the prodigal, he wasn't really interested in celebrating. Remember, he wouldn't even come in the house to celebrate with his father. He was not interesting in rejoicing over that that was lost, which is now found. He was selfishly upset that his good works were not celebrated. May we learn and delight in that which our God delights in. But this delight, it's not just happiness, is it? It's life-giving. It's strengthening. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 1 and remember... Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This man's delight is right. It's aligned with God, and he's blessed. See what, this is what, this is how blessing and delight is pictured. It's a well-watered tree, or for us, 
continually drinking from God's word. It brings forth fruit. It prospers whatever he does. And it's worthy to ask, what is my soul drinking in? What am I feeding my soul? Let's be watchful of the influences of the world that our soul drinks in. Because remember, the seed was choked out by the thorns that sprung up. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word and the seed becomes unfruitful. The psalmist concludes, I will not forget your word. Because that which we never forget, that's our treasure. We never forget that that which we cling tightly to, that which we delight in. Do you remember this even as Jesus ministered? Do you remember the Pharisees, they didn't delight in God's truth. They became prideful from it. They abused with it. They leveraged it against the people. But the repentant sinners, they loved God's truth. For they saw it not as a trite rule to wield about, but as life-giving. And that's why we rejoice in it. We see it rightly. We see the redemption of God in every precept. So, you know what, Brother Bill? It's, it's okay to forget a lot of things in life, as you said. I mean, we can have a lot of things fade away, particularly the offenses and sins of others against us. Amen? But we never forget the Word of God. It's life to us. Just forget everything else. It's okay. But remember the Word of God. Well, what an instructive passage for us. Declaring God's judgments, rejoicing in His ways, treasuring them, seeking more, meditating on His ways, delighting them and remembering them forever. So I want to conclude now with a a sobering question for all of us. Is digging into God's word and meditating on it, is that a chore or a task or is it a delight? Is it true rejoicing to you? Because we know we do all things by faith. This is delighting in God's way. But this testimony that we've heard today in the scripture, if we delight in God's way, you know what that is? I believe it's evidence of adoption. Because obedience, if done out of faith and love for our God, is not a burden, but it's a delight by his children. His children know, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember, God sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, where we cry, Abba, Father. It's it's with affection. It's with love. And through the gospel of Christ and his redemption, we are at peace with God. So his testimony, his statutes, his judgments, these are all the message of reconciliation and are just delightful to those who partake of this great salvation. So let's keep in close communion with God. Let's grow in affection. Let's come under his truth and receive it and delight in it throughout the day. And may we let his ways be our ways. You wonder what way to walk in this life. 
Walk in the ways of God. Because there's no other path for the Christian on this narrow way that leads to life. I mean, the world is going to shout its propositions at you continually. That's fine. Let them. Because you already have the truth. So keep it and stay there and walk in it. And may it be the way of our hearts. David said before the assembly in 1 Corinthians 29, he said, O Lord God, keep this forever in the intent and the thoughts of your people and fix their hearts towards you. When we rejoice in God's ways, the most overarching, most supreme heart of God is his grace, his redemption, his life-giving work by saving his people through the work of Jesus Christ. So delight in it all. Delight in his commandments. Delight in the testimonies. Delight in his creation. Delight in his providence today. Delight in David triumphing over Goliath. Delight in your God crushing the head of the serpent. Delight in the prodigal son coming home. Delight in the gospel, for this is the way of your God. This is his heart. And let that overflow out of you, declaring and wanting more and never forgetting who you are. A final application, you know God's word, you know who you are in Christ, and so never forget it, and live accordingly. And James gives us this little short statement that's very profound as we think about forgetting and remembering. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This is one who will be blessed in what he does. So live God's word. Be a doer. Do not forget it. Remember it, and then walk in it. And you will be blessed and rejoice in his ways. In a moment, we're going to turn to our hymn of response following the sermon. And I want to draw your attention to the last verse that we're going to sing, considering this idea of never forgetting. It says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, No, never forsake. Brothers and sisters, are you rejoicing in the ways of your God? May it be our chiefest joy and treasure. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us faith through Jesus Christ that we may be alive, that we may rightly view your truth and rejoice in it. Well, by this God, we pray that you would give us life that we may step forward in faith and be great doers of this word, knowing and armed and ready and walking in your joy. Amen.